0: Okay. So grateful, so thankful to open our hearts, open our minds to the very highest expressions of love, dynamic love and wisdom. This is our true identity. We're taking this breath together and consciously partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self, relinquishing everything that's come before this moment all worries, doubts, and concerns. So grateful to open ourselves to the infinite, to the unlimited, to the unprecedented. We are truly grateful, truly thankful. And we are opening our hearts and minds to the insight, the wisdom, the clarity that lifts us permanently into a higher vibration. We're allowing ourselves to say yes fully and completely to our awakening. We come together for this holy purpose, and we allow the healing to be. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. We know it's done, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. <sighs> yes. We are blessed. So, uh, for I think only Carla was at in the call yesterday with the year two, and we're gonna we're gonna cover the same topic. I've I've gotten strong guidance about this, and so it's it's gonna be very similar to that. And uh, one of the things that I am inviting you to is to uh, uh, I think what what I'd like to do in June is the first two weeks of June we're going to be um, the first two Classes of June we're going to be joining with the year two students so we won't have a separate year three class I don't think because last year in year two we never did discuss testimony of light so I'd like to invite you all to come to those two classes and be active in that conversation about testimony of light Um, and then you can have your community calls at this time in those weeks um i haven't done things quite like that before but every year is a little different and uh, i do feel that the testimony of light material is is really uh worth uh an active discussion about and um how many of you have read that book so lawrence Lawrence read it a couple years ago, so and I know Liz read it, Yep, and Carla's reading it now. So that's great. Um, I had brought this up uh, about reading it and discussing it a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> it's in your bookstore, certainly in the year two bookstore. I'll put a, a link in the Facebook group to the bookstore if you don't already have it. I know Rand was sharing in a community call recently that he got it on Kindle. Um, and uh, it's not a big book. It's a small book, so you'll be able to read it quickly, I think. Um, And when I read it, I couldn't hardly put it down. So uh, I hope you feel the same way. And any questions or thoughts about that?
1: When is your two class? We'll be joining them. When is that? Um, the first two Tuesdays of uh, <coughs> at 7
0: p.m. Okay. Yeah, in June. <coughs> and then we can continue to talk about it um, after that. Of course, we can in class. But I'd, I'd like to really have you all in that conversation, uh, that primary conversation with them. Um, I think it'll make for a livelier conversation and some more connection between the classes, which will just be a nice, nice thing. And, uh, and certainly be supportive of them having that conversation as well. So, um, what is so strong in my mind right now for us to be thinking about and to be meditating about, talking about, and looking at is our willingness to truly commit to making our life in this partnership with the higher Holy Spirit self. So It's one thing to be aware of spiritual principle and to be actively interested in being more loving and more compassionate and to have spiritual studies, spiritual conversations, to have a prayer practice. But where I see a lot of spiritual students will kind of flounder for a very long time in a sort of a mediocre experience and not an accelerated experience is they, they get focused on improving the quality of their life, improve, improving their relationships, improving the health of their body improving their job and their finances and having a nicer home and things like that so they're improving all the things in the world and they feel better about themselves they, they raise their self-esteem some they have less negativity less worry doubt and fear and uh, generally things seem to be better and more peaceful but they're not actively on a path of awakening. That's not the focus. And they're missing the opportunity to really live a life that is uh, extraordinary in its miraculous healing. But we can do that. We really can do that. And so For me, it's not enough to just enjoy your life more. It's really about this awakening process. And and doing it in the group is far easier than doing it on our own because we get distracted. Um, I, as you might imagine, I am someone who... I actively now for 20 years have had my own spiritual counselor that I went to to help me because I do not want to fall asleep at the wheel. You know, I don't want to be com- comfortable. I can see where uh, other spiritual teachers that I know uh, it appears that they've become comfortable. They're not pushing the envelope, uh, pushing the edge of their awakening. And they don't even see that as desirable. And if they are seeming to be pushing the edge, a lot of times it's they're exploring new teachings. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I was not a student of Wayne Dyer's. I I listened to some of his audios. I went on a retreat with him um, and I never really read any of his books, kind of skimmed a couple of them, sort of, kind of. Um, I, I thought of him as someone who was an active spiritual student who was a field researcher doing field research and then bringing it back, writing a report on it and then giving talks about his report and what he learned and then going off to do more research. That's how I saw he lived his life. And I, I, I think he was, um, very helpful to a lot of people. He's a certainly an excellent storyteller. Um, I also, based on my personal experiences of him, he was working through stuff. He had issues, some real issues, and was working on them. And um, Yeah, he had some real issues and was working on them. I think that's all I need to say. uh, Because I had some personal interactions with him that kind of surprised me. Uh, um, And sometimes the thing that will be a turnoff for spiritual students is to really keep digging and going deeper and deeper and deeper into our stuff. Um, and I, I endeavor to do it without becoming a psychologist, without getting trapped in it, without becoming looking at it through the ego's eyes in terms of, you know, where did this problem come from? Why do I, you know, why do I have it? In the sense of who's to blame for it? Uh, how long have I had it? Um, not getting engaged with the past like that but to constantly be opening myself to inquiry so that I can see my stuff that's active and up for healing and then to truly give it to the Holy Spirit. And what I see in my life is my life is not without issues, but I I constantly feel the expansion. I, I noticeably feel more peace and more clarity all the time, consistently that I can even see that things that bothered me last year do not bother me this year. Conversations that were difficult for me in my personal life last year are not difficult for me anymore. Um, Things that I was thinking about last year I'm not thinking about anymore and I consider that real progress. Um, I have had it said to me by the people I work with that, um, and Venerable is one of my, my counselors, my, uh, she's my mentor. I asked her to be my mentor about 10 years ago and she said yes. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, and one of the things about working with someone who on a spiritual counseling basis, and many of you know, this um, who's been working with? Uh, I know uh, Carla's in the spiritual counseling program, so obviously she's very active uh, in getting counseling and in sharing counseling. Who else is actively getting spiritual counseling or something? Sheila, Elena, Diane. Great, because it it makes um, it makes a tremendous difference when you're working with someone that you trust to with love and complete compassion and non-judgment who can help you look at your stuff that you really don't want to look at, you know? It still surprises me sometimes in working with my, the two people I work with and have been working with for years um, that they can bring up something for me to look at and I'm like, my ego is like, do not want to look at that no, there's no problem. Stop calling it a problem, you know, or just, um, and fortunately the support I have uh, can with absolute love help me to break down those walls, uh, those eco walls. And that that's part of what gives me the, credibility to do the work with you is that I'm consistently doing my own work and I'm interested in it. And um, one of the people that I work with tells me all the time as they only work with spiritual leaders, um, says to me, you are just about the only one that I have ever met that is truly dedicated to eliminating everything and will fearlessly look at everything resistance or no resistance. You you don't let the resistance stop you. And uh, while sometimes like everybody else, I can be a little defensive, you know, like, well, but wait a minute, there's reasons for that. You know, Um, when, It's pointed out to me like, you know, honey, I love you, but that's really, that's ego. It's like, yeah, it is. It's ego. Thank you. I appreciate that. And when, as soon as I identify that it's ego, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to defend it anymore. I don't want to hold on to it anymore. So... There, there is this very real difference between doing your spiritual work to improve the quality of your life and doing your spiritual work because you are the Christ and you wish to remember that. There's a big difference between those two experiences. And so I'm here to support anyone who feels called to work with me you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not giving anybody the boot ever. I don't see the value in that. Uh, though I, I have, as you probably have heard me say, I have had a spiritual counseling client, uh, or two, you know, that have come to me and just wanted me to, um, comfort them with their story, you know, and listen to their stories endlessly. And I do mean endlessly. And I've interrupted that pattern and said, you know, uh, you've already told me that story so many times and we've looked at it from every angle that there is to look at it. And I believe it's time for you to move on and that you can move on and I'd like to help you move on. And so in that effort, that you, there's no, uh, I'm not going to allow you to tell me that story again, just because I love you and I don't think it's helpful to you. I think it's harmful to you to tell me that story again. So, are you willing? And I've had people say, you know, how dare you And walk out the door and say, I'm never coming back. You're the worst spiritual counselor ever. And you don't love me. You're just bullshit. And, you know, and I've said, I hear everything that you're saying. And I just want you to know, I love you too much to let you tell me your sad story one more time. That's how much I love you that I'm willing to risk. You being angry with me, you hating me, but I just can see no more, no more, you know, and it, it, I had to say it that directly because all my other gentler attempts didn't work. So, um, and, and, and I'm following guidance in that moment. It's, it's, it's very rare that someone won't respond to gentler attempts, but, um, and that person did come back and said, I, I, I realized how much you really do care. That You would never have said that to me unless you really, really did care. So, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we moved through that and now we can move on. We don't have to talk about it anymore. We did that, been there, done that. Um, but I've also had people come to me and tell me their stuff and I've said okay the way out of this is forgiveness so I'd like to help you with the forgiveness process are you willing to release your judgments about this and I've had people tell me no no I'm not ready to do that I I need my judgments and I've explained the consequences and saying you know that's not loving to do to yourself. You, you're, you're punishing yourself with these judgments. And um, they're like, yeah, I hear everything you're saying. I think you're right. And I'm just not willing yet. So, you know, people, we all have, we've all been there. We have all been there, right? Some of us, uh, we built a house there, right? And we had a lovely figurine collection and um did a lot of work there so um can totally relate and respect people's free will choices so i feel that what can bring us the greatest benefit is really to do the 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 deeper looks at our resistance and our reluctance the stories we're telling ourselves and the ways in which we are delaying and the ways in which we are um, just going down a side road that's just not helpful to us and it takes real courage to do that and that's why I do think it's so much easier if we can do it together to do it together because um, all the time in these classes, as you hear all the time, and you've probably said it too, that you know, when you talk with your prayer partners, when we talk in a breakout, you realize, you know, I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. And that's one of the great benefits of doing work in a group, is you realize, no, it's not just you, it's, uh, it's pretty much everybody. And so there's, then there's, you can stop thinking you're the worst Right? And start realizing, oh, this is just a common issue that other people have. And since it's such a common issue, it's not evidence that I am the worst or I'm too far gone or I'll never be able to or I'm helpless or hopeless. It's just this is my, this is where I am on my path. This is the the monument to the past that is in my path for me to... Uh, Give to the Holy Spirit now. And the whole thing about taking this approach that makes it miraculous, that we can forget, right? Because I've been talking with people who've been forgetting this, is you, you give it to the Holy Spirit. You do not have to figure out how, right? One of the most tempting things the ego has to offer us as spiritual students is figuring out how right? And really getting into trying to understand everything. But if we're willing to give that up and work more directly with the Holy Spirit, more clearly with the Holy Spirit, that the clarity will be given to us in an instant that we could never get to with years of trying to understand, doing research, reading books, all of that. The, we are all entitled to clear insight and um, that's what i'm i'm feeling we need to um focus more on now and to that end i would love if um i could ask liz to, to share um a story of something that um, has happened to her recently where she did exactly that. She decided not to try to understand it or to manage it or to fix it or to work with it. She just gave it to the Holy Spirit. And Liz, I don't know if you can um, do that now. We'll see. Maybe she had to step away for a moment. Um, So uh, while we're waiting to see what's up with Liz, um, does anybody have anything they'd like to share? Anything that has any realizations that they've had since the, the breakout and the insights from last week? Anything at all that you'd like to share? Anything that this is bringing up for you, this conversation?
1: Deb then, Sheila. I am feeling really vulnerable, and I am aware that i like, going to quit. Not just doesn't, I mean, you're certainly bringing up stuff. But that was there before this call. I I haven't had that since ML1. Quitting, I just feel challenged.
0: Is this something that has been happening for a little while or did it start
1: very recently? I, I think what I am seeing is you know, we had a prayer call Friday night and we got into our story. We questioned about getting into our story. We still got into our story. And at the end, I said, let's pray. And so we took turns and we stayed a longer and we both felt a shift. And I'm like, why can we not just start with prayer? I mean, you know, we know it, we know it, the book even says it, and yet we got to get into this talking mode, and we both felt so much better, and Saturday just flowed like, for me, like it hadn't in months, and until I happened to just be outside and misstepped there is no mini step, you know what I mean. <clears throat> and did this angle thing, and I just went into worry and fear in the middle of the night because of the pain that I had. And it's just it, every time I get in the flow, something happens to stop it. So I know I'm somehow blocking or, you know, creating that, it's t- Totally unconscious, other than I know it. <laughs> it's just too. It's just too much. It's black, but that's just what it feels like.
0: Yes, and uh, I I appreciate that you're sharing with us from your vulnerability, Deb. I think that is really courageous of you <clears throat> and it, that's a, also a newer thing for you to be able to allow yourself to be vulnerable with other people and to me
1: well i can do it with a lot of people but not always with a group especially
0: i am um, i can remember when we first started having one-on-one calls that you would cry and you would say i i don't ever cry remember that
1: i do I, i i have cried buckets but between my mom passing in 2011 and that call yeah i don't cry yeah then you know, I've cried, but, indeed, but since, you know, but
0: so the that that vulnerability is a wonderful softening of your heart and opening of your heart, too. And that, um, while it's not comfortable to be vulnerable, it, it can actually be seen as a healing. I oh, know. Yeah,
1: I know it. <laughs> I know all this stuff. Yeah.
0: And when um, and you you know we all still learn through contrast. I do, and so I'm hearing you learn through the contrast of uh, connecting with your prayer partner and not praying and then praying at the end and that contrast and how it impacted your day on Saturday, and then on. It sounds like that night, during the night on Saturday, you started to have pain?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I did whatever I did to my foot Saturday evening and worked a couple more hours, and I mean, it didn't hurt, and I had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and I just could barely get to the bathroom. It was such pain. But then it, it left that intense pain. <clears throat> I got up again at six felt totally rested after four hours of sleep, which is odd, and had that intense pain again, but then it went away. I have a spring, It's not broken. It's not completely gone, but I that intensity is gone, so things shift quickly better, but I'd prefer to not experience this way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so it's also about having a practice for when these things are happening. So I'm going to come back to that, uh, the practice for the pain. And did you pray? Did you call anyone for prayer? Did you reach out for prayer?
1: I didn't call anybody. I think I texted and emailed a couple past, one, my current prayer partner and a couple past prayer partners. Good. I probably did the God help me now, you know, in a blink, just unconsciously almost, because you can't walk and you got to get to the bathroom, something's got to happen. So how many of you feel that
0: if you're feeling challenged that you know, you can immediately reach out to one or more people and say, I need prayer right now. Yeah, that's a good thing to establish. Thank you. Because, uh, being able to do that, um, that's like your prayer posse and um, setting that intention that you've got relationships with. Cause you know, uh, somebody calls me for prayer. It's, it doesn't have to be more than three minutes. It doesn't. There's no need for it to be longer than a few minutes. Uh, we ought to have time for prayer for just about anyone in most situations. Right. Having a conversation, that's a different thing. But most of you know that while there are times when you're upset, you're bothered by something, you'd like to have a conversation, you can make an appointment to have that conversation. You don't have to have it immediately, right? You're not going to go kill yourself or something, right, most of you. So, uh, but that prayer, when you're feeling challenged, to, to be the two or more who are gathered, that is a very valuable thing to have in your back pocket at all times. And, or just to be able to text and email, like you're saying, Deb, and say, I need prayer right now for this, please. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's part of our foundation. To be able to have that and that is part of what the whole prayer partnership aspect of the program is so that people will cultivate their relationships to to that degree Liz while you're there I was wondering could you tell the story you told me the other day about um
2: (coughs) the IRS yes I'm happy to I just haven't had time really to uh, type it up yet because I wanted to post it. And I will. I will post it on these sites, too. Um, So we were audited by the IRS. Did I share this story with you guys? No? Okay. Um, Because I have shared it with some caring circles and prayer groups, and i confused who's heard it. Um,
0: And when you say we, who do you mean?
2: My husband and I. We're audited by the IRS for 2012 or 2014 and um, got an appointment, went downtown LA with all our receipts in tow and had the meeting. And uh, after that, you know, it took all day. And after that, a few weeks later, we got a letter from the IRS saying we owed $40,000. And um, I didn't tell my husband, which I know people tell you, don't do that. But I didn't tell him because I know him and um, i didn't tell anyone i didn't tell my mother didn't tell jen um i didn't tell anyone i just kept it to myself and brought it into prayer and what i knew was that it was not my problem it was truly god's problem and it was not my problem and every time i got a letter from the irs i would go god mail got some mail on the table for you and um I just did that, and I just stayed in that space, and it, it was the first time that I truly felt that uh, manifestation happened from my God self, not from my egoic mental self, which can also manifest, as we know, but it was truly from another place. I, I was absolutely in a place of peace and knowingness, and I just stayed there, and I just stayed there.
0: How many letters did you get,
2: Lynn? Oh, 10, 12 letters?
0: Over what period of time?
2: Uh, about three months. And then last week we got a letter from... Nope. Um, I just go, oh God, ma'am. And sometimes...
0: Liz, you muted yourself accidentally. Go ahead. Next week, last week, you said... Am I... Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Last okay.
2: week... Um, last week we got a letter with a bunch of numbers on it that I didn't understand and anything and the IRS corrected themselves and they owe us $5,000. It was an absolute knowing. This was God's. Kept giving it to God. God! Get your mail! Because I don't have any problems. I don't have any issues. I don't have any $40,000 bill. You do! (laughs) So why don't you take care of that? Yeah. But it was, it was really, the thing about it was the feeling tone was so different. And what I told Jennifer was, I wish I could find a way to really um, express it verbally, the difference, the shift, because, uh, you know, if we can really teach that, how to move quickly from the mental manifestation, the egoic manifestation, to your God manifestations, it's... Um, it is truly a place of ease and grace my heart never started to palpitate i didn't get headaches i was not physically bothered in any way because i was not concerned in any way because it was god's job not mine my job is to listen and obey and shut the f up yeah
0: yeah, Sean, you, you missed the part of the story. You're going to need to listen to the recording, especially because Sean's an accountant. Um, but um, so let me ask you, Liz. In And I'll frame it this way. In year one and in Finding Freedom, I talk about the uh, divine alarm clock going off where... There's uh, what happens is our beliefs, which are our unhealed karma and decisions that we made about life, ourselves, the world, others from the past become our beliefs in this lifetime. The decisions we made, the meaning we made, the interpretation from the past life that was incorrect and false becomes our belief system in a subsequent lifetimes. And then our belief system magnetically draws into our awareness the thoughts that are congruent with it. So if I believe um, people aren't gonna like me because my eyes are brown, then I'm gonna draw in experiences that seem to validate that, that seem to affirm that. And I like it when things affirm my beliefs because then I'm right you see if I'm identified with the ego so then I just get further entrenched and further entrenched and further entrenched but there's always the opportunity for me to say wait a minute maybe this isn't true and so one of the ways that we do that is we get in the gap between the thought arrives in our awareness we choose to think it there's a gap between those two things Thought comes in. It's like a cloud comes in the sky. You can get on that cloud and and make a whole thing about that cloud, or you can just let it move through, and you can say, oh, there's a storm cloud. Glad there's not going to be a storm here. You know, Not interested in preparing for a storm and experiencing a storm. I'm going to let the storm cloud go. Um, I'm not interested in that thought anymore. So it's getting in that gap. Now, so what I'm hearing you say, Liz, is the letter came, you opened the letter, and in a sense, your belief system was not congruent with the thought, I have a problem. But you could easily have gone, oh, my God, I
2: have a major problem, right? Yes, and I have. That would be my normal pattern to take. When something like that comes up, you know, is to have a meltdown. Um, you know, you get a forty thousand dollar bill. Yeah, I would normally have a meltdown, and instead, I actually like went. Ha! Huh? <laughs> okay, hey God,
1: mail.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the the strength of your mind to not go into judgment, but even if we. If we go into judgment, and then we have to pull back from there, we still can't.
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, what I try to keep reminding myself of is that a belief is just a thought I keep thinking. I can choose not to think it anymore. It's it's that simple. A belief is a thought I just keep thinking. So, as Jennifer says, then I have experience to prove that's true, because it's a thought I keep thinking. I don't need to think that thought anymore and have that belief.
0: And there's also, like, what's the outcome you'd like to have? I just had a conversation with my brother where he said, well, this is probably going to be the outcome. And I said, well, that's not the outcome I'd like. So I'm not going to affirm that's going to be the outcome. And then he thinks I'm living in a fantasy world.
2: Well, you know, and that was one reason why I didn't share it with my husband is because he would have thought that. He would have thought, uh, Liz, you're living in a fantasy world, and we've got to figure out how we're going to pay this $40,000. And when it was all solved and, I, and they said that they were going to pay us money, then um, at dinner I, I said, now, Paul, I'm going to tell you a story. and I don't want you to get upset. I just want you to listen with an open heart and let me get to the end of the story. And as soon as I said, well, and then we got after the audit, you know, then we got a notice that we owed $40,000. <gasps> I said, would you listen to the end of the story? Good. Okay. So, and I said, I said, did you, do you resent that I didn't share that with you? He went, that was the absolute right choice. Absolute right choice. Don't you dare share it with me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because he was gonna, he was gonna go on to a different train. He wasn't gonna join my train. Right. It's like I, I, I'm not gonna share this with anyone who is not absolutely gonna get on my train, head in my direction.
0: So, you work with teens. How would you teach that to the teens?
2: T- teach what? How to manifest from your God self?
0: Well. <clears throat> confronted with something that <clears throat> seems like a, a really big problem. Mm-hmm. How to hold it in your mind. How to not go into fear.
2: Right. Um. Hmm.
1: What just popped into my head is choose now. Choose now, this second. Pain train, God train. Pain yeah. train, God train.
0: That's it. That's it. That's it.
1: That's, I love that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's really deciding that you can choose the experience you'd like to have, which is <clears throat> what I was talking about yesterday in the Living a Course of Miracles class. And uh, I was teaching from the Responsibility for Sights, Chapter 21, Section 2, where it says in Paragraph 2... <clears throat> Um, actually, I'm going to go back a little bit further. <clears throat> it says, we have repeated how little is asked of you to learn this course. And that's really what I'm, I'm sharing here is that it's, it's simpler than we make it. And it's time for us to make it so, so simple and to practice the simplicity all day. It is the same small willingness you need to have your whole relationship transformed to joy the little gift you offer to the holy spirit for which he gives you everything the very little on which salvation rests the tiny change of mind by which the crucifixion is changed to resurrection so you can see how little was asked of liz she got the letter and basically what was asked of her was to respond Right? Got to make a response in some way, shape, or form. And her response was, Holy Spirit, this is yours. Let me know. Thank you. And Liz, in your giving those letters to the Holy Spirit, do you recall actively practicing gratitude? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. 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 I was absolutely so grateful it was solved, and I was giddy about how it was going to be solved. I thought I would get some sort of notice saying, oh, we were wrong, you don't owe us anything. I was not expecting to get a notice saying, oops, we were wrong, we're going to send you $5,000. Yeah. I, and I was, I was just absolutely giddy with gratitude and excitement about, when are we going to find out how, how it all happened?
0: Yeah. It's like the universe is sending you a tithe <clears throat> saying, thank you for being willing to teach what you're learning and not just talk about it.
2: Right.
0: So, uh, cause I could feel you, you, you can't really go into that belief system of totally being held and supported without also simultaneously feeling a tremendous gratitude.
2: Yes, it was absolutely natural. Like I didn't, I didn't think, oh, I, I, have to, I have to express gratitude right now. I wasn't, it, it was just natural. I was like, so grateful that my miracle is here. I'm so grateful that God just likes to do miracles through me. Oh, yay.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's the tiny change of mind by which the crucifixion is changed to resurrection. And the tiny change of mind is from I have a problem to I am, I'm cared for, I'm supported. I'm willing to let spirit take care of this. Most people would not feel comfortable letting spirit take care of it because why? Who can tell us why?
3: Elena. Because it will prove that I was wrong for my whole life.
0: So it will prove you're a big loser.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's, it's giving up control because I like to control everything. I'm in charge of everything. I know how everything should happen. I run a business. Don't tell me how things should do. I got it covered. And um, so it, for me, it's giving up control. It's like, because that's big thing to let go of. What about trust? Yes.
0: You have to have trust. And that's the thing about the whole thing about the ego is the ego only trusts itself. Even though the ego is consistently unworthy of trust. The ego never fails to let us down. <laughs> never to let us down, and yet we still put our trust in the ego, right? The managing, the coping, the figuring it out. I'm going to go to the, the expert to help me to negotiate this, to whatever, right? So it is the tiny change of mind, but it cannot happen without our willingness. That's why our willingness is all that's required. So then it goes on to say, And being true, it is so simple that it cannot fail to be completely understood. So we can all get this. We can understand this, that it's a simple change of mind. Because it is a simple change of mind. We get that. And we get that we just aren't willing to make that change of mind. And we're not asking, we're also most of the time in our past lives, we haven't been willing to ask for help with our willingness. Right? So we just struggle on. And uh, because asking for help, we see as a sign of weakness. Because why? Because the ego thinks it needs to do everything by itself. Because the ego is 100% about affirming separation. So that giving it to the Holy Spirit wouldn't make sense to the ego ever because the Holy Spirit thinks it has to do everything. I mean the ego thinks it has to do everything by itself because it's a I'm an alone I'm alone system. Unless I can manipulate other people or hire other people or cajole other people to help me, I'm on my own. So it says we can reject, we can reject the the little change of mind, but we understand it, we get it. And it says, and if you choose against it now, it will not be because it is obscure or that you don't understand it, you don't get it, or that it's confusing, but rather that this little cost seemed in your judgment to be too much to pray for, to pay for peace. So trust is required for peace. And we see all the places in our lives where trust is too big a price to pay, right? So instead, we're trying to figure it out. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes right now in this moment and see where you're trying to figure it out. Where are you trying to figure it out? And then hear these words, perhaps for the first time in, in your awareness. Here's the only thing that you need to do for vision, happiness, release from pain, and the complete escape from sin all to be given you. Say only this, but mean it with no reservations for here, the power of salvation lies. I'm responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge but that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear so consider that all effects effects of your mistakes will disappear all pain all suffering all challenges will disappear step are you raising your hand there
1: I couldn't understand all effects can you finish that sentence
0: sure all effects of your mistakes will disappear so all the times that we put the ego in charge and all the effects that we experience because of that including all sense of separation will disappear if we just take responsibility for everything 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 the environment, the president, everything, with no blame, but just say, okay, I'm responsible for everything I see. And right now, everything that I see is just as I wish it would be. So, like Liz, I think you can probably say now from this vantage point, I'm so glad I got that $40,000 letter from the IRS.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because it's hard not to sense that, or believe, or have faith that your whole life will be different because of that experience.
3: Absolutely. <clears throat> your
0: effectiveness as a teacher will be different because you've proven God in that way, such a tangible way.
2: Right. You know, All right. And, and that's one thing I didn't say to the teens, because um, I shared the story with them as well, is I, is, is I said, you know, I want you to really understand what we're talking about. Because if you can understand right now, at 16, 17, 18, and 19, how universal law works, how, how universal spirit moves through us, if you can get that now, oh my gosh, the life you're going to have is mind-boggling.
0: Mind
2: Right. Right. Which is why I go there. That's why I'm on the community call on church Wednesdays nights.
0: Yeah. Now, Sheila, you were going to share something back. Do you you still?
4: (laughs) I can share quickly, but my goodness. I want to say thank you, Liz, for bringing it into my awareness that the IRS not only gives refunds, but gives you money too. That's never been in my awareness before. So thank you for that. Deb, thank you for sharing. I, oh, my goodness. I just feel, feel how the healing is happening there with us all. and So thank you. So I, I didn't really have anything that was big. Jennifer, I wanted to share that um, I started having a little bit of moments of clarity, and I'll go quick. Um, for some reason, the John Mundy and the homework class that's gone with his Living a Course in Miracles, classes just resonates with me, and I've now got up this morning and listened to them for the third time out of that series. I'm just, those two classes are just resonating. I'm learning so much, and I had shared a couple of weeks ago in our community call that with my house closing and seeing my car on the dolly being pulled away, I had a little bit of sadness, and it took me a little bit to shake that. I didn't even realize what the sadness was, I don't think, Jennifer, because it's not a feeling that I experience very often. And it took me a little bit to work through that, and I realized that it was just a little bit of sticky residue that was left over. And as soon as I had had that community call and spoke it with my classmates, I was feeling better already, and that really shifted for me. And I had been having to do some work still around the business and the house, everything being gone, and what is it that I'm stepping into now. And spirit just keeps giving me little bits and pieces of this new life that I keep saying that I'm living and that I'm absolutely committed is the life that I'm doing. And it came into my awareness this morning, you know, all of you that knows me knows I have been doing work around why I'm not married. You know, what's up with that? A four year committed relationship and I'm still a girlfriend. I've let that go. That has been healed for a while now, but it came into my awareness this morning that perhaps the reason all these things are closing out of my life and that it's not something that's set in stone as to why I'm here. Maybe it's meant that I'm supposed to go somewhere else. Once I get through with my training and all these new things I'm learning, maybe I'm going somewhere else. And at first it kind of scared me. I was like, wait a minute. Wait, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. Louisiana is where I live. But when you start looking at, take me, I'm willing to have whatever adventure you'd like for me to have. I just got a little bit of clarity around that to say, well, maybe that's what's going on with this, and you know what? All is well. Not that you can't live in different areas when you have a spouse, but my business tied me to the door. I was there every single day. There was not much getting away, and I choose not to live my life with a spouse in separate, separate states. So who knows? So I just wanted to speak that out and share it, that clarity is coming, and thank y'all for helping me get there. So that was all. Well, I I
0: that's a lot. That's a lot. And and how wonderful that you're able to move through that so quickly uh, and, to, and to give yourself the space to feel that sadness <clears throat> and to discover, you know, what it's about and to give it to the Holy Spirit. And I absolutely feel for you, Sheila, you, you have a, expressed a, a strong desire to be spiritual counselor spiritual teacher that seems to me clearly your path and that it will open for you without question without question you know
4: thank you i feel that and you were talking about contrast sadness is not something that i choose to use as my contrast any longer i did not like that feeling at all
0: <laughs> yeah so that's it is is spirit gives us these experiences to, so we can choose, so we can choose. And that's how everything works together for our good. Um, just going to shut this window a little bit here. Um, well, in the time that we have left, we might go over a bit. I would like to uh, read from this book. Um, and this is the time of surrender. Anybody else feeling like, oh my God, surrender is such an issue coming up for me right now? Yeah, Carla and Elena and Sheila and Rand. And um, so, uh, and I, I feel it too, very strongly. So I think that's why the classes, that was the topic for John Mundy and um, uh, those two classes last week. Well, and that's the subject of what I'm going to read. And it's, it's, a wa- it's a long read, um, <clears throat> but um, I feel it's really worth it. So it's from this book, Medical Medium. Has anybody read this book already? Rand's read it. Did you like it, Rand? Yeah, he liked it. So I'm going to read, this is from the beginning of chapter one. And it's, uh, so it's, it's probably going to take the half an hour to, to read it. <clears throat> but I, I really feel it's worth it. I really do. And uh, when I read it in year two class last night, they, they really felt it was worth it. So
2: I'm excited to hear it again.
0: Yeah, there <laughs> you go, Carla. Uh, in this book, I reveal truths you won't learn anywhere else. You won't hear them from your doctor, read them in other books, or find them on the web. These are secrets that have not yet surfaced. and that I'm bringing to light for the first time. I'm not a physician, I have no medical training, yet I can tell you things about your health that no one else can. I can give you clarity on chronic and mystery illnesses that doctors often misdiagnose, treat incorrectly, or tag with certain labels, even when they don't truly understand what causes the symptoms. Since I was a young child, I've been helping individuals heal with the insights I'm about to share. Now it's time for you to learn these secrets. It's how spirit has told me it's meant to be. My story begins when I'm four years old. As I'm waking up one Sunday morning, I hear an elderly man speaking. His voice is just outside my right ear. It's very clear. He says, I am the spirit of the Most High. There is no spirit above me but God. I'm confused and alarmed. Is someone in my room? I open my eyes and look around but don't see anybody. Maybe somebody's talking or playing a radio outside, I think. I get up and walk to the window. There are no people. It's too early in the morning. I have no idea what's going on and I'm not sure I want to. I run downstairs to be with my parents and feel safe. I don't say anything about the voice, but as the day goes on, a feeling builds up that I'm being watched. In the evening, I settle into my chair at the dinner table. With me are my parents, my grandparents, and some other family members. As we're eating, I suddenly see a strange man standing behind my grandmother. He has gray hair and a gray beard, and is wearing a brown robe. I assume he's a family friend who's come to join our meal. Instead of sitting down with us though, he keeps standing behind my grandmother and looking only at me. Remember, he's four years old. When none of my family reacts to his presence, I slowly realize that I'm the only one who sees him. I look away to see if he'll disappear. When I look back, he's still staring at me. His mouth doesn't move, but I can hear his voice by my right ear. It's the same voice I heard when waking up. This time, he says in a calming tone, I am here for you. I stop eating. What's wrong, my mom says. You're not hungry? I don't answer. I just keep looking at the man who lifts his right arm and waves for me to come over to my grandmother. Feeling an undeniable instinct to follow his instruction, I climb out of my chair and walk to grandma. He takes my hand and puts it on my grandmother's chest while he's eating, while she's eating. Grandma backs away with a start, what are you doing, she asks. The gray man looks at me. Say. Lung cancer. I'm at a loss. I don't even know what lung cancer means. I try to say it, but it comes out as a mumble. Do it again, he tells me. Lung. Lung, I say. Cancer. Cancer, I say. My entire family is staring at me now. I'm still focused on the gray man who says, now say, Grandma has lung cancer. Grandma has lung cancer, I say. I hear a fork clatter on the table. The gray man pulls my hand from grandma and gently places it at my side. Then he turns and starts climbing steps that weren't there before. He looks back at me and says, you will hear from me all the time, but you may never see me again, not to worry. He continues climbing until he steps through the ceiling of my house and now does disappear. My grandmother stares at me. Did you just say what I thought you said? There's a panic at the table. What just happened doesn't make sense for a number of reasons, starting with the fact that as far as we know grandma is fine. She hasn't noticed any problems or seen any doctors. The next morning, I wake up and hear the voice again. I am the spirit of the Most High. There is no spirit above me but God. Just like the previous morning, I look around but don't see anyone. From that day on, the same thing happens every morning without fail. Meanwhile, my grandmother is shaken by what I said to her. Even though she feels fine, she makes an appointment for a general checkup. A few weeks later, she visits her doctor, and a chest x-ray reveals that she has lung cancer. As the mysterious visitor continues to greet me every morning, I start to pay attention to what he sounds like. His crystal clear voice is somewhere between baritone and tenor, a bit on the low side, but not very low. It has depth and resonance. Even though he's near my right ear, his speech has the stereo effect of surround sound. It's hard to gauge his age. Sometimes he sounds like an exceptionally strong, healthy 80-year-old, matching the gray man I saw at dinner. At other times, he sounds thousands of years old. You might say he has a soothing voice, yet I can't get used to his presence. Other mediums sometimes hear inner voices, but mine isn't internal. It's a voice directly outside my right ear as if someone were standing right next to me. I can't will it to go away. I can physically block it when I put my hand in front of my ear. I can make the voice sound very faint. As soon as I move my hand away, he's at full volume again. I ask him to stop talking to me. At first, I'm polite about it. Then I'm not. It doesn't matter what I say though. He talks whenever he wants to. I start calling the voice by name, Spirit of the Most High. Sometimes I call him Spirit for short, or Most High. By age eight, I hear Spirit continually throughout the day. He tells me about the physical health of anyone I encounter. No matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm told about the aches, pains, and illnesses of whomever is nearby and also what the person needs to do to become better. The relentlessness of this ongoing and intimate information is extremely stressful. I ask Spirit to stop telling me these things I don't want to know. He tells me that he's trying to teach me as much as possible and that we can't spare a moment. When I tell him it's too demanding, he ignores me. I learned that I can engage in some conversation with him though. When I'm old enough to pose some fundamental questions, I ask, who are you? What are you? Where did you come from and why are you here? Spirit replies, first, I will tell you what I am not. I am not an angel and I am not a person. I was never a human being. I am not a spirit guide either. I am a word. I blink fast trying to take this all in. All I can think to ask is, which word? Spirit replies, compassion. I'm not sure how to respond, but I don't need to. Spirit keeps talking. I am literally the living essence of the word compassion. I sit. At the fingertip of God. Spirit, I don't understand. Are you God? No, the voice replies. At the fingertip of God sits a word, and that word is compassion. I am that word, a living word, the closest word to God. I shake my head. How can you be just a word? A word is an energy source. Certain words hold great power. God pours light into words, such as I, and instills us with the breath of life. I am more than a word. Was there anyone else like you, I ask? Yes. Faith, hope, joy, peace, and more. They are all living words, but I sit above all of them because I am the closest to God. Do these words speak to people too? Not as I do to you. These words are not heard by the ear. They live in each person's heart and soul, as do I. Words such as joy and peace do not stand alone in the heart. They require compassion to be complete. Why can't peace be enough by itself? I ask many times. Since spirit entered my life, I've wished for peace and quiet. Compassion is the understanding of suffering, spirit replies. There is no peace, joy, or hope until those who suffer are understood. Compassion is the soul of these words. Without it, they are empty. Compassion fills them with truth, honor, and purpose. I am compassion. And no other sits above me but God. Trying to make sense of this, I ask, then what is God? God is a word. God is love, which is above all other words. God is also more than a word, because God loves all. God is the most powerful source of existence. People can love, but people do not love all others unconditionally. God does. It's too much for me to process. I end the conversation with one personal question. Do you talk to anyone else? And then he's thinking, because if you do, I'm thinking I'm going to seek them out so I don't have to feel so alone. The angels and other beings look to me for guidance. I provide all who care to listen with the lessons and wisdom of God, Spirit says. But on earth, I speak directly only to you. As you might imagine, this is a lot to absorb at age eight. There are other mediums who have had shocking things happen at a young age. None of their experiences quite match mine. Being able to hear a spirit voice clearly at all times and freely engage in conversation with it is extraordinary even among mediums. Even more unusual is for that voice to speak outside my ear so that it's an independent source separate from my thoughts. It's essentially having someone follow me around everywhere. Someone who keeps telling me things I don't really want to hear about the health of everyone around me. The upside is I receive health information that's incredibly accurate, much more so than any other medium alive. Plus, I'm regularly informed about my own health, which is a great rarity. Even the most famous mediums in history normally couldn't read their own conditions. I'm also given insights into health that are decades ahead of what's known by medical communities. A major downside is that I have no privacy. When I'm eight years old, I spend a week building a dam in a stream by my house. Spirit tells me it's a bad idea, that it will flood the neighbor's lawn. It'll be fine, I say. Then a downpour comes, the stream rises, and it floods the neighbor's lawn. As the man from the house yells at me, I hear in my ear, I told you, you didn't listen to me. Of course, that just makes the situation worse. Spirit is constantly watching my every move and telling me what I should and shouldn't do. It makes having any kind of normal childhood nearly impossible. That same year I build the dam, I know in great detail about the physical and emotional health of my best friend, the little girl I have a crush on, and even my teacher who's struggling through an awful relationship with her boyfriend. I can read every bit of it and it's agonizing. Not one to offer empty comfort, spirit tells me to expect worse. Your biggest challenges are yet to come. What do you mean, I ask? Only one or two people per century are given this gift, he says. It is not a typical intuitive or psychic ability. It is something that most fail to survive. You will find it almost unbearable not to be able to live like a normal person, never mind a normal teenager. Eventually, you will see almost nothing but the suffering of others. You will somehow have to find a way of becoming comfortable with that. Otherwise, the chances are you will end your own life. Spirit becomes both my best friend and my albatross. I appreciate that he's training me for a job the higher powers have chosen for me. Still, the stress he puts me under is extraordinary. One day he tells me to go to a large, beautiful cemetery near my home. I want you to stand over that grave, he says, and figure out how the person died. It's quite a request to make of an eight year old. At this point though, I've been so bombarded with the health information of both friends and strangers that I try to view this as just one more case. And with Spirit's help, I'm able to do what he asks. This adds another dimension to the gift. Not only does Spirit verbally inform me of what's wrong with someone's health, he also helps me visualize physical scans of the person's body. I spend years in different cemeteries performing this exercise with hundreds of corpses. I become so good at it that I can almost instantly sense if someone's died of a heart attack, stroke, cancer, liver, disease, car accident, suicide, or murder. Along with this, Spirit teaches me to look very deeply into the bodies of the living. He promises that once this training is concluded, I'll be able to scan and read anyone with extreme accuracy. Whenever I get tired or want to do something fun, Spirit tells me someday you'll be performing scans on people that will mean the difference between life and death. You will be able to tell if a person's lungs are about to collapse or an artery is about to clot or shut down someone's heart. Once, I reply, who cares? Why does it matter? Why should I care? You must care, Spirit responds. What all of us do here on earth matters. The good works you perform matter to your soul. You must take this responsibility seriously. At age nine, while other boys are riding bikes and playing baseball, I'm constantly witnessing disease in the people around me and listening to spirit tell me what's needed for them to get better. I'm learning what adults do wrong for their health and exactly what actions they need to take to heal but seldom do. At this point, I'm so filled with health related knowledge and training that it's hard not to start applying it. One opportunity arises when I get sick myself. Eating out with my family one evening, I ignore Spirit's usual dietary recommendations and eat a dish that gives me food poison. For two weeks, I lie in bed unable to keep anything down. My parents take me to the doctor's office and even the ER one night when it gets really bad. But the fever and the pain in my gut don't stop. Finally, Spirit cuts through my delirium and tells me it's E. coli. He gives me a direct order to go to my great grandfather's house and picks pick a box of heirloom pears from his tree. <clears throat> Spirit says to eat nothing but these ripe pears and I'll heal. I do, as he said, I do as he said. and recover rapidly. At age 10, I try to go over Spirit's head and deal directly with his boss. I figure I can't tell God what I want through prayer because Spirit will hear me. So I climb some of the highest trees I can find to get as close to God as possible and carve messages in their trunks. One of the first messages is, God, I love Spirit, but it's time we cut out the middleman. This is followed by some frank questions. God, why do people have to be sick? God, why can't you fix everybody? God, why do I have to help people? While these seem to be very reasonable things to ask, I receive no answers. So I find some even more dangerously tall trees and I climbed in the highest branches in hopes that my recklessness will get God's attention. This time my car requests for direct action. God, please give me back silence. God, I don't want to hear spirit anymore. Make him go away. As I carve in the words, God, let me be free. I lose my foothold and almost slip off the branch. Not that kind of free, I think. I inch my way back down to safety, defeated. None of these messages makes any difference. Spirit just keeps talking to me. If he's aware of my attempts to subvert his authority, he's gracious enough not to mention it. There's more important work at hand. At age 11, I wanted to do something productive and fun that'll take my mind off the voice by my ear. So I get a job carrying clubs at a golf course. My gift is not so easily abandoned, though. While caddying, I can't help (coughs) telling golfers about their conditions. I often know about their stiff joints, bad knees, sore hips, hurt ankles, (coughs) tendinitis, and more before they do. (coughs) I'm going to skip a little bit of this. He talks about becoming a stock boy in a, a grocery store so that he can give his client's recommendations of what to eat or what supplements to take. And then he says, at age 14, I sometimes sit in a bus or a train and pick up on some health issue with a guy in front of me and tap him on the shoulder to tell him about it. At times the response is gratitude. Other times the reaction is to accuse me of invading his privacy, stealing his medical records or worse. There's a lot of distrust and hostility to deal with, especially for a boy going through puberty. As I grow older, I learn to be careful about who I try to help unasked. If I see someone regularly, I still feel impelled to share what I know. So I develop the habit of first reading her emotional state to determine whether she's approachable. That cuts down on the number of uncomfortable situations. If someone is a stranger, I'll usually keep what I'm seeing to myself. This becomes a burden though. When I'm a teen, I start feeling even more accountable for my actions. So if someone is in danger of kidney disease or has cancer and I do nothing, part of me feels it's my fault if the person ends up seriously ill or dead. When this is multiplied hundreds of times a day, the sense of guilt and responsibility becomes overwhelming. As my teenage years continue, life becomes more difficult. For instance, most people watch television to relax and escape. But when I watch, I get a health reading on everyone on the screen. I automatically scan the condition of every person I see who needs help, whether they know they have a condition or not. When that happens over and over, TV is draining. It's not fun. And that's, it's even worse when I go to a movie theater. I'm uncomfortably, uncontrollably reading the health of every person in my row, the row in front of me, the row in back of me, and so on. And that's not the end of it. I read the health of the person in the movie. I'm able to determine the condition of each actor during the time the film was shot as well as the health of the actor in the present moment. Imagine what it's like to be on a movie date and get bombarded by medical information about the people around you and up on the big screen. (coughs) Considering the last things most teens want is to feel different from everyone else. This period is especially rocky. My feelings of alienation and being overwhelmed by responsibility lead to some rebellious teen impulses. I pursue various ways to escape my gift. I start, start spending a lot of time in the woods. I find nature soothing. So, I'm going to um, s- just summarize some of the next part here. So, he learns a lot about the plants in nature that are healing and how to use them. And he learns a lot about animals. And then he learns how to repair cars and literally how to psychically determine what's wrong with the car when nobody else can find out what's wrong with it. And then he gets a job working for all the mechanics in the area, going in and diagnosing the cars. Um, But then he starts diagnosing the mechanics and it it becomes unfun for him. Uh, He tries, he joins a rock band, so to drown out the sound of spirits voice. Um, All right, so then I've got a couple more pages here. So it's probably going to be another 10 minutes. By the time I'm a young man, thanks to my training with spirit, I've indirectly read and scanned thousands of people and helped hundreds along the way. One day I think, okay, this is the hand I've been dealt. I have a special purpose. I just have to accept it for now. I also think this can't possibly go on forever. At some point, I'll have fulfilled my responsibilities and will be set free to live a normal life. Spirit has never said any such thing to me, yet I need to believe it to keep going. In my early 20s, I began doing an earnest, in earnest what Spirit has repeatedly told me is my destiny. I opened my door to sick people who have come for help, to discover the root causes of their illnesses and tell them what they need to do to become healthy. And despite my griping about the various stresses I've endured, it's fulfilling work. It feels good to help people. In fact, sometimes what I can do is so empowering that I let the feelings of being all knowing go to my head. A good example is the time my neighbor approaches me about his wife who can't walk or use her legs. She's been to dozens of doctors and none of them have helped. My neighbor tells her, Look, Anthony seems to know a lot about this stuff. Let's take a chance. Under my care, within a year, she's able to walk again. I'm in my garden pulling up some onions when my neighbor comes around. He says, I just wanna thank you again, Anthony. We went all over the country to meet the top experts and they couldn't do a thing. It doesn't make any sense. Somehow you knew exactly what was wrong and what she needed. I don't know how it's possible. You're not even a doctor. I look at him with the onions in my hand and say, it's because I'm always right. I can fix any problem because there's nothing I'm wrong about. Just remember that. I'm always right and will always be right. Then I turned around, walk a few feet, and step on a rake that slaps me in the face so hard it knocks me out. As I lie on the ground, my concerned neighbor rushes to my side and stands over me. In my day's state, I think he's my constant companion. Spirit, I ask. Spirit of the Most High replies. I'm always right. You're always wrong. Remember that. I'm always right. You're always wrong. Whenever I get cocky, I think of that moment. It's a reminder that while some of the things I do as a healer with the help of spirit might be considered miraculous, I'm still a regular guy who can make lots of poor decisions when flying solo. When I'm a young adult, Spirit assumes I've passed the crisis point that led others with my gift over the centuries to end their lives. He assumes I've accepted that using my abilities to heal people is what I'll do for the rest of my life, which goes to show that even Spirit of the Most High can't predict everything when it comes to free will. One day in late fall, I'm at a retreat by the water with no one but my girlfriend, who will eventually become my wife and my dog, August, short for Augustine. I've had August for a year and I'm very close to her. She replaced my family dog who was with me for 15 years. Just like that dog, August is essential to my sanity. We're sitting by a large deep bay. The water is icy cold and the current is strong. It's our last day. With great reluctance, we start getting ready to leave the peaceful isolation of this place. Suddenly, with no warning, my dog jumps into the bay. I sense she picked up my feelings. This is her way of saying, we don't have to go. Let's stay here and keep playing. Unfortunately, both the cold and the current take hold of her. She immediately starts slipping from us. We stand on the shore screaming at August to come back. I throw stones into the water to lead my dog back to me. This is our special signal. Whenever I splash stones in the shallows, she returns to shore. But today, the current pulls her further and further away. August goes 50 feet out. I see her struggling to get back and losing the battle. Then the cold freezes her so thoroughly that she stops paddling and goes straight down. I toss off my jacket, boots, and pants, and jump into the freezing water. I've swum 15 feet out when Spirit of the Most High says, if you keep going, you're not going to make it. It doesn't matter, I yell. I'm not abandoning August. I have to save my dog. I swim another 15 feet, and then the merciless cold takes over. My body goes numb. Spirit says, you've done it now. You cannot turn back, and you cannot go forward. This is it. Really? You robbed me of a normal, peaceful life. I dedicate my whole being to your work of healing. And this is all I get from you? You say, this is it and leave us to die? All the angst and anger I've suppressed since I was four years old comes pouring out. I let spirit have it about my years of pent-up frustration over this continual torture I've always had to accept as a gift being set apart from everyone else, knowing too much about everyone at way too early an age and being told what I had to do with my life instead of given even the slightest choice. I tell Spirit, I put up with a lot, sacrificing my childhood, experiencing everybody's pain and suffering, taking responsibility for healing thousands of strangers and draining myself physically and mentally every day. And now you're telling me I can't even protect my own family? No, damn it, I shout as the freezing waves threaten to engulf me. If this is how you want me to end spirit, so be it. I'm getting my dog back or I'm going down with her. A very long second passes, numb and exhausted. I realize that I may have finally pushed things too far. A few more moments without help and I'll be following my dog August into the depths below. I turn my head toward the shore to get one last glimpse of the girl I plan to spend the rest of my life with. Spirit says, you need to swim out 20 more feet. In shock, I shout, how? To my great surprise, I feel a renewed strength. I resume swimming. In my mind, I continue to yell at Spirit that I deserve to survive with, with my dog. Otherwise, we should both die. Spirit says, I will get you to your job. In return, you must commit to me. We go through this life the way you're supposed to. You accept that it is by the holy power of God you are destined to do this work for the rest of your life. Okay, I shout, deal. Let me find August and I'll work for you with no complaints ever again. I swim the additional 20 feet. Spirit says, hold your breath and go to eight feet down, then open your eyes. As I hold my breath, a surge of power courses through my body. All of a sudden, I can feel my legs again. I swim what feels like eight feet down, open my eyes, and see an angel. I've never encountered an angel before. I'm seeing what looks like a woman who has no trouble breathing underwater with a glorious source of light behind her. Light radiating from her eyes, and huge beautiful wings of light growing out of her back. There's no question she's a divine being. And in her arms is August, surrounded by a beautiful peaceful light. For a moment it feels like time stands still. My vision is surprisingly clear underwater, and I have no fear or trouble holding my breath. I grab my dog by her collar. Then something pushes me upward with her. We both reach the surface of the water. The bay is still icy cold and the current is still trying to violently pull us away from land and life. The wind is blowing strong. When I open my eyes again, I see Spirit for a moment standing right above the water. It's the only time I've seen Spirit since the first day he appeared to me at age four. We don't have much time, he says. The angel is leaving. Just as I register once again that all could have been lost, another surge of power charges through my body. As I start swimming back through the frigid waters holding on to August, who seems lifeless, it feels almost as if I'm being pulled across the 50 feet to safety. My dog and I soon make it back to shore and to my girlfriend, who is crying with relief. As I drag myself and my dog up to the rocky sand, I cry in agony. Not because I'm feeling the initial stages of hypothermia, but because I'm afraid my dog is gone. All I can think is, let her still be alive. She opens her eyes, gasps for air and comes to life. The sun appears from behind the clouds and a streak of light races across the water and shines on my dog August. I look at the light and say, Spirit, thank you. And I realize this is the first time since Spirit entered my life that I've ever thanked him for anything. The battles I've waged with Spirit of the Most High since I was four years old have to end. It's time for me to acknowledge the cards I've been dealt. Even before this point, people in need have been coming to me in droves. With this pledge, I wholly dedicate myself to helping them without qualification and for the rest of my life. I don't have to pretend the abilities I've been granted are a problem-free blessing, yet I stop complaining and finally accept who I am. That's when I truly assume my role as the medical medium. So, what I'd like to ask you to do is really look at how you've been resisting the calling that you have. You know, everybody has a different calling in this group. We all do, but we have a calling. We have a calling to live as the Christ. We have a calling to be our true selves and we resist it in a myriad of ways. We don't have to figure out how to stop the resistance. He had that experience. That experience was so intense that it forced him to make a choice. Remember he said that other medical mediums had, or the other people who had the the specific gift that he had, had mostly killed themselves rather than endure it because they found it so painful. But remember, pain is a wrong perspective. Right. Uh, he, he didn't have the perspective of how this was really something that he maybe um, unconsciously had asked for before he incarnated. You know, I, I, I don't I, am, I don't imagine that it would be possible for him to really have that gift and not have agreed to it before he was born. Like Jesus agreed to his do his path, you know and it unfolded. He may not have been aware of it as a child, who knows, we don't know, but it is something he agreed to. And it's the fighting it that becomes so painful. It's like fighting, you know, um, being healthy is painful. You know, fighting, being loving is painful. So we don't have to figure out how to release the resistance, how to make it go away. We, we all have our own version of the I am presence speaking to us. And we can all say to compassion, to faith, to harmony, to beauty, to truth, to all of these spiritual qualities, speak to me, teach me. I'd like to, to learn to embody you fully. Remember that Spirit of the Most High said, these words are all within each one of us. No one is without them. But until we practice compassion for ourselves and others, we, we can't be complete, we can't have peace, we can't have joy, we can't have freedom. So where are we not practicing compassion with ourselves? And for me, the, the, the whole shift in my mind really was riding on a wave of being willing to be compassionate for others. That's what opened my mind to self-compassion, having compassion for others, just making a decision to truly be compassionate for others because I was so judgmental. So we each have our own walk and our own path. But right now, this time really is about the surrender. So, and the only thing we have to surrender are the attachments, the resistance, the reluctance, things that cause us pain. We don't have to surrender anything that brings us joy. You know. So, any thoughts, questions, shares? Did, did was that helpful to you? Do you appreciate hearing that? Yeah. So, it, to me, it felt like the perfect combination, along with what um, um, Liz was sharing about really just giving it all over. And I'd like to share with you too, Rosalind, I got an email from Rosalind. She had her meeting with Lorna Byrne yesterday in Ireland. And she says, it was all I could have hoped for in our meeting. I asked her if the guardian angel was the same as the higher self. And she said it was the same, as well as the same as the soul. Thought you'd be interested in that. Lorna Byrne, the offer of angels in my hair. Any, anything you'd like to share before we close out? All right. So I invite you to really talk about this with your prayer partners. Be willing to go in deep and look at the resistance. And to surrender more fully you know sheila you must have asked for real assistance in surrendering
4: (laughs) i did and i asked for it to be in the form of a human in this in my area so thank you for showing up (laughs) jennifer i found that's what happens when i ask for someone in physical form to be sent to me it may not be that day, but it happens. So I just have to remember to ask for help. That's the trick, right? <laughs> it
0: is. It is. And every time we do remember, we're releasing that uh, attachment to separation and worthiness. Yeah. And to have compassion when we don't, Elena.
3: Yeah, it spoke to me what Shiva shared that uh, when well, she chose this path, and now she has all of this clarity. But I'm just asking myself that all these attachments, you know, for me that looks like attachments to my family, you know, which I cannot release. Yeah,
0: we—it's ha- one of the most challenging things to surrender the attachments, but we don't have to. We don't have to release the relationship, but just the attachment. Yeah. And it is, I don't know anyone that doesn't find it scary, Elena. I don't know anyone that doesn't find it scary. But greater joy, greater happiness is emerging. And so just as Liz, really she didn't try to figure out how to solve the problem and affirm the problem she gave it to the holy spirit you can do the same thing you can do the same thing and we're all praying for you
3: i know it and i feel it you know
0: And really, uh, 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 I I really encourage everyone who comes to me to say this uh, uh, again, um, really call upon Archangel Michael to cut all cords of fear and negativity to you and from you.
3: It helps as well. It helped enormously. This, when I read your comment and I did it, it was like a complete switch, yeah. I know there is something is happening and just I have no control over it. There's just things are happening in my life at the moment that would make me completely uh, like, I don't know. I just talked to Carla yesterday, like <laughs> my car got removed by police, but I don't even let's look at it like, okay. My account got negative and that, thought, okay, <laughs> whatever. Every day, like the things that even one thing per month like that in the past would make me crazy, but now look okay (laughs) what was he i don't know
0: you know I, i went through a period like that you know i did where it seemed like everything was being taken from me um and now from the point where i am i'm so glad i went through that Yeah. Like, but I, I wasn't relinquishing the attachments. And there were many that I didn't even recognize. But my life was much better without them, without the attachments. So.
3: It feels light and light, actually. I mean, it goes like that, but it's. Uh... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And, you know, when it feels really scary, just like I say, make sure you've got people you can reach out to.
3: Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah, it was like uh, in the most <laughs> scary of evenings, I had a and we could just, I couldn't even speak, but we texted each other and it was so helpful, you know. It was like having an, an angel here <laughs> in this, in this place, you know.
0: And it really helps to have a group text. You know, to be able to have a group text and, um, you know, like broadcast. I-, I need prayer right now.
3: Yeah. I think we'll arrange for this, like having it on WhatsApp or something. Like yeah. That.
0: Yeah, WhatsApp is great.
3: Yeah, because what happened actually the day after is what that when I posted on Facebook and then the complete energy like switched everything. And I, I was like, wow, prayer works. <laughs> you see it once again. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times like that, things happening. It's unbelievable. The moment I go somewhere and I need help, I get like suddenly a message from Angela saying me, say me something. I say, I, can you pray for me? And then I feel the prayer. I feel it on my back. I feel it. I just and all of this is what's well, strange is that although I'm getting all of this, like, what I don't want put to, to to say the word negative, but it's like kind of experiences uh, in my life. But from another point of view, it's an opening. Like I get, I feel like a angel Michael. I just know he was there. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I imagined, but you know. But it's all getting so. So clear. Yeah. So so like it's but whatever, it's happening. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's happening. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's all good, it's not all fun. Yeah. But gratitude is the key to be grateful even when it's not fun.
3: And sometimes not to forget to laugh as well. (laughs)
0: Always, (laughs) always, always, yeah. Yeah. always remembering to laugh, yeah. So let's take this prayer here. So grateful for everyone in this class and all the sharing. So grateful that we are walking this road together So grateful that we can surrender, that we can release the attachments. So grateful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit Self and to relinquish everything that is the cause of suffering, everything that is the cause of pain, known and unknown, felt and not felt, recognized and unrecognized. We are surrendering our attachments. We're opening our eyes to see with divine vision, to see, to know, to feel, to hear more clearly the truth that sets us free. We are grateful. We are thankful to open ourselves to the unprecedented, opening ourselves to the unlimited, recognizing that our path is a unique path. We each have a unique path, and it is a path of God's glory. And we are growing from glory to greater glory. This we know and affirm. We share the glory of it with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we allow our healing to be. We know it's done, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes. I love you. I thank God for you. Bye for now.